Welcome to the October 12th, 2017 edition of the Science Fiction Club. And we are going to, as we have been for the last three meetings, talk about books that we have read either this month or many years ago or that we really liked or that we really didn't like. Whatever the case may be. So we will just start with uh, whoever wants to start first and go around till we get everybody in who wants to talk about a book that they liked or didn't or whatever. Here we go. Well, I guess I'll lead off since I wasn't here last uh, last month. Um, I read a very interesting book that just came out in 2017 and it's on Bookshare and Audible only as far as I know. It's called The Book of Joan. It's a, it's a futuristic sort of, what's the word, extropian or about, you know, Earth being devastated and uh, um, a remnant of humanity has gone to live in a space station called Ciel above the Earth and they've become almost morphed into almost sexless, sexless beings and they're ruled by a dictator named Jean Devan, I think his name is, and they live by exploiting the, the what's left of the Earth, because Earth was devastated partially by climate um, changes and also by wars, and these few humans were those who managed to escape and, and construct this, this artificial habitat where they live, and yet there are beings or human beings still living on Earth, and it's a little complicated, the book, but um, the narrator on the space station, is, is her name is Christine, and she decides that she wants to write the history of a rebel on Earth by the name of Joan, and that's from where it gets, and, then, and she actually writes it on her skin and graphs, and that's where it comes, it's called the Book of Joan, and she's a, a person who has... I suppose you could almost say supernatural power. She's able to raise the dead, although they only last about 24 hours. She's able to harness elements of the earth, and then she she wages a war along with Christine on the on the um, state, uh, space station against this dictatorial ruler. And um, I'm not sure exactly how it ends. It ends a little bit inconclusively from what I could gather, but... It, being that the fact that it was on Bookshare, I found it a, you know, a little difficult to, to get all the ins and outs of it, but I, I thought it was a very interesting book with a lot of depth to it. And for people who don't mind dealing with this type of futuristic type book, I would say it's a read that's well worth it. Do you know who the author was? You might have mentioned it, but I missed it. I didn't. Her name is Lydia. It's, it's a, she has a very difficult name, Yavapovich or something like that. I have it here in... Um, notepad where I, I copied a, a brief summary of the book from the New York Times. I don't know if you would want me to, to have Jaws read that or not. Uh, actually, you could probably get that from Bookshare if you were interested in the book. But uh, whatever. Um, I think you gave a good enough summary that it describes what it's about. I just scratched the surface because there's a lot of depth, you know, nuances in it. Um, and and I, I listened to an, auto, uh, an auto, a, a brief 
uh, reading of it from um, Audible, and I didn't like the reader too much, but <laughs> but it, it's an interesting book. There's no doubt about it. And I, I'm I, and I guess it'd be certainly going to be classified as science fiction. Um, if you would like, I can go now. Hello, Mary. Uh, yes, I have my computer back. It just came back about 20 minutes ago. The, the book I read was by Ian Douglas. Um, Altered States and Dramedon Darkness, Book One. I'll be brief. The book is set in about the 23rd century. Earth is more technical than, of course, it is now, and there are political changes. The Earth has been contacted. They were sending a ship faster than light out to, I think, Alpha Centauri, and en route they met aliens who let them know there was this huge galactic civilization. So the, they end up wanting to develop a um, mission to go to the center of the galaxy to meet the aliens in their capital city. So they do that. They're going there. But when they get there, they're flung four billion years into the future. And it talks about how they're trying to figure out what happens next. And the book kind of ends with them battling this dark matter energy being. It's a little weird. But it's sort of hard SF, but really speculative. It makes your head hurt in a way because it thinks about things that stretch my brain. I'll go ahead and put the book information in the edit field. Yeah, sounds kind of interesting. I mean, having, I, I would think, and of course the authors can't do that because uh, it would be totally, there would be no story there. But uh, being flung that far in the future, I would think would be utterly hopeless to figure anything out. Just imagine if... Uh, Somebody from 1600 were flung into 2017. How much trouble would they have? I mean, forget about four billion. Just think of 400 years. Um, and uh, somebody, you know, from Europe or America, where things have changed so much, as opposed to somebody in, you know, central uh, Brazil or wherever in the rainforest where things haven't. But I'm just thinking of some place that, you know. Um, so, but. But still, it sounds like it might be interesting. I might be intrigued. I uh, haven't read too much science fiction lately, so that sounds like it might be good. But where is it? Uh, it's a good idea. Um, I'm just encouraging everyone uh, to mention where you got it so that people you know, who are listening, or those of us here, or people who are listening later, can uh, know where to look for it. I'm sorry, that's a board book. It, um, I did put the information in the edit field. Obviously, that will not help people who are listening to this on recording. But this is Ian Douglas. It's Altered States, and it is available on board. It's a very recent board book. It is definitely hard SF. You know, I think I've got that on my card, and I've been wanting to read it for weeks, at least one or two weeks, and now you're encouraging me to read it, so thank you. Well, I suppose I'll go next. I said last month that I was going to start rereading some of my favorites, and I did. This time I read Tunnel in the Sky by Heinlein. There are two versions of it on Bard, and the one that you want is the one with the lower book number. It starts out with 13, 1, 3. It's an older recording, but it came out quite well when they put it on Bard, and it was recorded in 1979. And the book actually came out in 1955, and it is about a group of high school students who have been taking a class in survival. 
and it's their final exam. They have to go to a planet. They don't know where they're going to be, but you go through a tunnel and you end up on the moon, which is kind of a transfer point, and you're there for only a couple minutes, and then you go through another tunnel and you land on your planet. And this is tunnels that you just walk through. And what happens is something goes wrong with the technology and they can't get back to Earth. And so they end up staying there for quite a while, I'd say at least a couple of years. And the main character starts out kind of on his own and he gradually runs into other people. And then there's a lot about government in this book because... What ends up happening is there are four college students who are older than these high school kids are. And uh, the main character and his friends are all seniors in high school, and this is their big exam to you know, help them to graduate, although the course is elective. But uh, sorry for all the noise upstairs, but anyway. So uh, they uh, end up... On this planet, they learn to live together, and then the college kids show up and try to rule by micromanagement and committees and all that, and yet the college kids don't do anything to help the colony survive. So there's a bit of conflict with all of that, and beyond that, I'm not going to tell you anymore because you get to find out all the details and ins and outs, but it's, it's a fascinating book. And it's my favorite because I was a little nine-year-old kid, and I got as far as reading about the tunnel, and I said, I want to go there. <laughs> that's what got me into science fiction. And I recommend the book that starts out with a 1-3 um, book number on Bard, because if you get the book that is a higher number and a more recent recording, they're not going to be read the narrator just isn't very good in the later recording he doesn't know anything about 1950s slang language and that and the the older narrator knows what he's doing and he's a really good narrator his last name is van horn and i can't remember the beginning of you know what his first name is but i think it's v-a-n-h-o-r-n all two words for his last name so that's the one you want to get the one with the lower book number because he was really good so that's it for this this book for this month. What was the title of the book? I had some problems with my Take Control client. It was Tunnel in the Sky, T-U-N-N-E-L, In the Sky, and it's by Heinlein. Is there any uh, description of the, I imagine there is, is the planet, is the planet that they're marooned on, if you want to call it marooned, does it have any exotic nature or any type of aliens or anything like that? Well, it's kind of an Earth-type planet. It's kind of tropical. It has weird animals. It has animals that look friendly, but they're not. And um, I would imagine some of the animals that Heinlein based these animals on were from Africa because you find some that sound kind of like these exotic monkeys that make these weird noises and scare people half to death. <laughs> and uh, so there's no intelligent aliens. It's just a lot of animals and learning how to survive with all the weird plants that are new to the students and all that. So no intelligent a uh, aliens, but um, that's I think that's good enough as far as excitement. You know, you could find out about the animals and about the plants, and um, 
just it's just a really it's sort of like a Robinson Crusoe type book for multiple people, multiple students. And um, one thing though about Heinlein that I really like with his books for teenagers, and that's what this one is, is he never talks down to them. He doesn't use childish phrases or anything. You're going to get science, and of course they knew more about stuff in the 1950s than we would think. But yeah, it's it's a fun book. Well, I decided to ride a read. Maybe I wrote it too, I don't know. The latest book in the Vada series. Elizabeth Moon is starting another series called Vada's Peace. And they just released the first book on Audible called Cold Welcome. And Vada is coming home to Slaughter Key and her shuttle-ish sabotage and she crashes into this Arctic Ocean environment and it describes her adventures in surviving that and getting to land which turns out to be a continent that no one has paid any attention to except a mysterious enemy and they go through her getting into that and surviving an assassination attempt. Um, they finally figure out that this base, and I mean it's a big base, it's got an airstrip and big tunnels, was uh, produced by another, uh, another species or another race. Um, and they bring in the um, a couple of the oh hell I can't think of the name Merc mercenaries a bad guys team and a, and the McKenzie team which are the good guys and so they've also got Aunt Grace who I like the lady that made the uh, uh, fruit cake and race the guy from ICS the communications company and you know as far as being way out science fiction it isn't but it's not bad um, it's kind of like oh the honor Harrington books and I kind of, in, I just enjoyed it because I'm having real trouble finding any, any fiction books that I want to read. I've actually started going to nonfiction because I'm tired of what I'm getting in fiction books. But I'd recommend it. It unfortunately is not available on Bard yet. Hopefully they'll move fast and get it on. And hopefully she'll finish the series and not, do a uh, oh I don't remember the name of the guy that wrote the Wheel of Time but he decided to die before he finished the series so I'd kind of hope she finish it, finishes it but I enjoyed it thoroughly uh, but I like military stuff uh, 
Well, decided to die isn't quite fair, but it is fair to say that if he hadn't strung it out so long, he would have been able to finish it himself. Um, I love that series, and I've read all of them twice except the last one. Um, but I have to agree, I'm having more and more trouble finding fiction, especially because there's so much non-fiction. I mean, um, reality is just getting... I mean, I got uh, Lissy an Echo Dot for one of our anniversary presents, and uh, Google's got translating earbuds now. I don't know how well they work, but they're on the market, or they're coming soon. Um, science fiction is starting to look kind of pale. Um, but I'm still finding some things to read, but I can't talk about it because it's a book I'm reading for a bookshare, and it's not available, so I won't talk about that right now. But... Uh, Sherry is apparently having computer trouble, so I'm thinking maybe we should try to get her. She could come in before something bad happens again and she has to go away because she's been in two or three times now and then gone out again. So maybe um, if you're still there, Sherry, can you, uh, can you talk next? You're absolutely right. I tried reloading TC Conference and I finally rebooted and maybe I'll get lucky and stay in here for a little while. Um... The last couple of months I've had books that I couldn't really recommend, so I thought I'll try something I for sure will like, and that is a book by Peter F. Hamilton called Misspent Youth. Well, I didn't like it at all. I must say if this was the only Peter F. Hamilton book I'd ever read, I would never want to read another one. It was more pornography than sci-fi. Um, it's only about 11 or 12 hours, so it's one of his shorter books. It takes place in the not-too-far future, maybe the 2040s, something like that, in England. There's sort of a Brexit situation going on. He didn't go into the politics as much as I would have liked. Um, the main character is this guy, Jeff, who in his youth developed something called Crystal Memories. And apparently he gave it to the world for free instead of making money off of it and it resulted in no more books or movies being made because the instant they're made they're on the internet and there's no you can't make any money out of writing or making movies so that's kind of a big deal and again he didn't go into that as much as I would have liked either uh, the main part of the book is Jeff is 78 now and there's a new um, experimental process to rejuvenate people so they rejuvenate Jeff because he's a national hero because he gave this thing away for free, although you find out later he had ulterior motives for doing that. Um, so they make a 78-year-old man 28, and all he wants to do is get a hold of every woman he can, and it's described in great detail. He has a teenage son who thinks he's in love with this girl, and Jeff not only sleeps with his son's friends, he sleeps with his son's girlfriend. And he's supposed to be the hero of the story, by the way. Um, and, of course, his son doesn't want to forgive him. His son moves out and goes and stays with an aunt. His son is, like, um, just getting ready to go to college. And while he's staying with the aunt, he has this accident, and the father can't be bothered to come home because he's about to have sex with two women at once. And so in spite of caring about his son and wanting to make things right, he can't be bothered to come home. He'll come home the next day. But by the end of the book, there's some kind of riot situation, and the father ends up being a hero. And apparently the author thinks the father is a hero. So I really, in case you haven't picked up on it, I really despise this book. I don't know why I finished it. I guess I thought maybe it would get better, or I wanted to see how it would turn out. But I would definitely not recommend Misspent Youth by Peter F. Hamilton. That's an old, didn't that come out in the 90s, or 
what? When did when did that come out? You know, I thought that too, and I think I checked the um, copyright. I didn't write it down in my notes, unfortunately, but I think it was two thousand two because I remember being surprised. I'm sorry. What did you say? The name was "Misspent Youth" by Peter F. Hamilton. That's not on Bard. Where did you get that? Is that Bookshare or, or uh, it's not on Bard, right? No, it's not on Bard. It's on Bookshare. Well, he went through some kind of a phase. You know, you can see traces of it in his later books. Um, but you you tried reading that um, the uh, oh man that Night's Dawn trilogy and um, that huge book and he was kind of like that in there too. But then he went to the Void, you know, in the Commonwealth and um, Dragon's Egg and the Commonwealth stuff, and he kind of toned it down, though he never completely eliminated it, from what I gather. Yeah, you're right in that trilogy you're talking about, I think I read the entire first book and part of the second book, and there were more problems in there than just the sexual content. I don't honestly mind some sexual content, but when it seems to be the focus of the book, like in this misspent youth, I find it very annoying. Um, yeah, he did have some of it in the Void trilogy and the other trilogies that I've loved of his, but it wasn't as, a, you know, you multiply that you know, he has he has it in like virtually every chapter. It's like it really is more pornography than sci-fi in this spent youth. It's it's really quite amazing. Has any has everyone given uh, their reviews? Because I want to mention something about a television series that recently came out to see if anyone else has heard about it or watched it. Roger. Uh, my trouble is I'm not sure exactly when I can jump in because I don't know how long the discussion on any particular book is going to go on. But as long as I'm here now, I may as well tell about the one I wanted to tell about. Um, I've recommended this before, and I discussed it on that special time travel discussion that was held. And I think this is probably about my favorite time travel book. It is The Man Who Folded Himself by David Gerald. It is now available both on Bard and Bookshare. And I think that David Gerald was attempting to just use his novel to explore the various implications of time travel. It's about a guy who somehow acquires a belt with controls on it and he doesn't know where it originally came from. But, um, he finds himself able to travel backward and forward in time at will to pretty much any time or place that he wants to. And the first implication that is explored is he travels to the day before with his knowledge of how things went at the racetrack and meets his self of the day before and they go to the racetrack together. And apparently by changing the odds at the racetrack he spins off a different timeline but eventually he's traveling back and forth and meeting himself a whole lot and sometimes whole gangs of himself are traveling around together there is a house that he apparently rented at one point whenever he feels like partying he goes to that house at that particular time and the house is full of party goers and they are all the same person at different ages and different 
stages in life and he comes and well he parties with himself there's plenty of him to do it with there are he has developed certain systems so that his future selves can give advice to his past selves if he is about to make a decision a future self self just may pop into existence right where he is and can tell him the result of a certain decision and suggest that maybe he make the decision another way and so forth and well what can I say with exploring all these various implications of time travel mostly implications of being able to travel through time and meet yourself um, I just found it rather enjoyable that kind of sounds like a temporal version of the book we read a few um, months ago though it wasn't exploring meeting yourself but he did meet different versions of himself that when he remember oh man I can't I can't remember the name of the book now but somebody will remember it um, the um, the guy who got uh, kidnapped and sent into an alternate reality and then uh, the Nobel Prize winner gets his wife and then he works his way the, uh, the original guy works his way back through all these different alternate realities back to his original reality and there are a whole bunch of other ones of him there you guys remember that one that's dark something by oh god what was his name it was a real short name like Brett somebody like the dark dark matter I think it was called yeah dark matter by Blake Crouch that was it this sounds kind of like a temporal version of that only he wasn't seeking out versions of himself but he he met plenty of them you know in the end I wonder if anyone has read a similar a book that's somewhat similar called the, the time traveler's wife which I thought was a very beautiful book I read that book and I loved it I thought that was just awesome that was just incredible they defined time traveling as a disease I think it was called chrono impairment and he couldn't control his ability to time travel he would just suddenly disappear and he'd learned to kind of cope with it and it's how his wife learns to cope with it I thought that was an excellent book it was really an interesting take well uh, I haven't as I said I've only read part of a science fiction book this month I'm not even gonna call it a novel and I can't explain that until uh, uh, the book gets up on Bookshare but anyway um, so I'm going to talk about The City and the Stars by Arthur C. Clarke because it's on my favorites list and we have not done it um, at least I don't think we did. We didn't do that book, did we? I don't think so, but I know I've read it. And Sherry, if you haven't read it, it will. you may like it. It's far out, and I know you kind of like some of that stuff if it's well written. This is Arthur C. Clarke at his best, and it's about, well, there's the city, and this uh, person is born, in quotes, in it, and he's actually created by the central computer this city has been around for almost a billion years and it runs perfectly and there are people who live in it who've never been outside they never go outside but every once in a while you know and they get reborn every hundred thousand years or two um, they live a normal life and then they die and then they get reborn again the computer recreates them after many generations and they come back and you know but every once in a while the computer creates a unique individual 
And this story is about the unique individual who explores the city and he's kind of disruptive because he he creates uh you know he he's unusual and he doesn't want to play the normal games and he wants to see what's outside the city and even though he's frightened a little bit because it's so conditioned into the culture that they don't want to leave the city but he finds a way out he gets a little bit of help from somebody and he finds a way out and he he gets on this train and and the train stops and lets him off at the only other inhabited place on earth which is a village where he meets people and they're like telepathic they don't have the technological wonders of the city but they have a, a, a viable society a more rural society and they find a ship see the technology is is um, such that in uh, in this far future um, Clark has what he calls these eternity circuits. Now, he doesn't explain them in detail, but it, one, as long as you have an energy source, you can keep things in top condition. I mean, nothing wears out or anything because it's bound up in these eternity circuits or whatever. So everything works perfectly, even if it hasn't been used, you know, for a million years. But this is, you know, this is Clark's third law working here. Any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. So anyway... He meets a friend, he becomes friends with one of the inhabitants, and they find a ship, and they take off. They want to find out, you know, if there are any other people around, and they explore uh, three different worlds. And then they come back, and the unique guy, Hilvar, goes back to the city, and he starts trying to get people to open up the city, to go out and explore, you know, the... The, the the rest of the earth and there's a big debate and you know people are for it and against it and I'm not going to spoil it too much but um, and there is a, a mentality that they discover uh, out in the you know they uh, out in amongst the stars it's it's kind of like a childlike mentality that had been done you know created a long time ago but it takes a long time to mature and I don't want to spoil too much more of it, but it's on my favorites list because it's explorational and it's, you know, the technology is marvelous. And there's some deeper issues, too, about uh, whether or not to take risks. Uh, do you get so tied up in your routines and, and, you know, do you do things the same way so much that you're afraid to look outward? It's about, it's kind of about mankind coming out of the city and you know coming off of the earth and going out into space once again after a long very long hibernation because there was a big disaster you know and then humanity retreated from space after the big disaster which he'll tell you about and so it's it's one of it's a marvelous book as i said it's it's right up there almost as good as childhood's end i mean uh, that's saying a lot because childhood's end is one of my favorites, and this one's just about as good. Um, so, if you want something really interesting and far from you know the daily concerns and not pornographic at all, um, <laughs> then uh, give it a shot. What was the title of that again? It's called "The City and the Stars," and the original narration that I read is not unbarred. It's probably never going to be because it was read by Buckley Coslow on 16 RPM records. They've got another narration on Bard, read by Corey 
Snow, is that her name? Corey something. I can't remember her last name now. Uh, a woman with a British accent. She does okay. I'm just, I was just attached to the original because that's the one I read first and it just hit me hard, you know, and gave me a big impact when I read it when I was 13. So, um, but anyway, it's a, it's a good narration. If it's your first one, then you'll, you'll like it a lot. I don't remember if it's on Bookshare or not, but it's certainly on Bard. I think that book uh, that's currently on Bard is a combination of The City and the Stars and The Sands of Mars. So it's like two novels in one, and I, I didn't care for that British lady's narration. I didn't think she fit. We needed, we needed Buckley Coslow to read that to make it right. Corey James, that was her name. Yeah, and you're right, I'd forgotten that because I don't know if I even read The Sands of Mars. Maybe I should. But it didn't stick in my memory if I read it. But uh, I have to agree, I'm afraid. Um, I thought maybe it was just because I was prejudiced because, you know, I read the original uh, from Buckley Coslow, but um, maybe you're right. But still, if it's the one you have, uh, you'll get along with it all right. You know, I read a book um, for children, I think, on Bookshare, and I can't remember the title. It had to do with this under a city of people living in a city underground, and they had no concept of, of, of the outside world, and it was completely controlled by, uh, you know, lights that would, the, the lights would go off at a certain time of night, and, and it was dark, and, I, I, and, they, and someone figures out a way of getting out of the city and coming to the surface of the earth. It was quite an interesting book for children. I can't remember the name of it. I think I read that one on one similar, and the, when they go up to the surface of the earth, there are people living in trees, and they're like dinosaurs that have been re-engineered, and they, they kind of run things so that people have to be careful that dinosaurs don't catch them and eat them. Hey, if I had been 10, I got the dinosaur bug when I was 11. If I had been about 11 when I read that, that would have just been, I would have flipped over that one probably. Sherry left again. I hope she heard some of the plot summary for a book. Maybe she'll like this one, because having three books in a row you don't like is kind of discouraging. It is. I have one by Paul Anderson I'm going to read next month. I use, almost always like his stuff, too. But I did write down The City and the Stars. That does sound like something I want to give a try. Mr. Clark, I have that one because Evan recommended it. He said it's one of those four science fictions. You know, there's a sequel out to that book, something about Two and the Lightning by that lady. I forget her name, but I could not read. The book had chapters like Chapter the First. It was written in an almost neo-Victorian prose style, and I just didn't understand the world. I wanted to make two comments very briefly. One, there's a new book. It's supposedly a collection of fiction and essays called Transparency that looks at the world and how um, surveillance is changing it. But to me, it was mostly short fiction. I didn't care for it. And secondly, I wanted to um, ask... Wait, what did I want to ask? Oh, God. I know I always do this and blank out on one of my questions. But um, I'll, I'll think of it and get back with y'all. Give me a minute. I downloaded that Transparency book. Uh, I don't know when I'll get around to it. As I said, I'm reading almost exclusively nonfiction anymore. Um, so I don't know when I'll get to it, but I'm downloading it. I did download the sequel to Two Lightly Lightning. I haven't started the first one yet, but I remember sending you a review, uh, Publishers Weekly, and they described the prose as ponderous. <laughs> and I think that word does kind of fit. That guy that was talking, I think it's David, 
I could barely hear him when he first talked. What book did he read? The book I read was by Ian Douglas. It was called Altered States, Andromedan Darkness, Book One. And I also put that in the little edit field in the conversation. I think you can find it if you hit F9 and arrow down so that you'll be able to see it. I should have memorized the DB8 something 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 number from Bard. No, I'll just look it up because I had a TC conference problem. I had to restart, so I suspect the uh, reading went away, but Altered States is probably enough. Thanks. Oh, I was going to say about the book, Too Like the Lightning. The author sounded really interesting, Evan. She's some sort of Renaissance history scholar and does a lot of recreations. I'm not quite sure why she's writing SF. She ought to write his alternate history, maybe. Like, what would have happened if Italy had united and it had, Columbus had gone and discover America for the United Italy? You know, something like that. I love alternate history. The Sideways Award, I believe, or Sidewise Award, is for that. Yeah, and I know I shouldn't get too attached to narrators, but they got a narrator for the first one, and then they got a, a commercial audio book version of the sequel, and then, so the narrator's different, um, so I don't know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to try it at some point, but there's other stuff I want to start sooner, um, I want to read Weather Eye, did any of you guys read that, um, it's a book, it's a juvenile, but it had, um, and it sounds like a bit of a message book, I read the preliminaries, but I still want to read it because the kids use meditation to calm the weather, and me now being a serious meditator, I think after um, after the amount of practice I've done consistently in the past few months, I can say that finally. Uh, I was very intrigued by that premise, so I do want to read it, but I'm curious if anyone else has read it yet. No, not yet, and hats off to you for meditating. That drives my brain crazy, whether you're focusing on a mantra or you're emptying your brain. After five minutes, I want to run around the room and scream. So, And even when I listen to brain sync, alpha waves or gamma or theta wave entrainment stuff, it doesn't help, so I congratulate you. And... um. By the way, I am scanning, or I'm going to scan, I don't know when Anne will get to them, but we do have most of the rest of the first seven books of that um, Vados War. Bookshare has the first three. The only the, the third one is only rated good, which is maybe why Anne didn't see it. Um, but we have three or four of them now. We're going to get them all here, and I don't know how long that's going to take, but Anne's going to proof them, and I'm going to scan them. So eventually we'll get them all up there. Martin, did you have something to say about a TV series? Yeah, I don't know if I don't know if, if um, we want to include that in the recording or not. It's science fiction. It's a series on Fox called Orvo. Orvo, I think it is. It's a sort of a spoof on Star Trek. And kind of related to that, I've been getting from a friend of mine in Canada the um, Star Trek Discovery series. It's described funny that it's done by an American company describing it, but the only place you can get it is from the UK, so my friend in Canada is part of an email list where this UK person is sending the um, episodes every week. So, speaking of Star Trek, I'm kind of tunneling through that series. It's not what I would call the best one, for sure. Um, I think quality has certainly gone down since the absent of 
absence of Robin Roddenberry and his his uh, views and stuff. But maybe I've already said enough about that, so I won't say any more. Okay, um, Mira, I'll have to email you off lips to find out. I'd like to know what discovery is it set, where is it set in the universe. Though they've made me furious when they rebooted everything in that the second to last movie. It's like they threw everything away. So I'll get you off 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 group and email you. Well, I was I wrote to the list about the when they made the last Star Trek movie and. Roddenberry's vision was gone. They talked about making it a western, or making they didn't want to make it too much like Star Trek because they didn't want to exclude people who hadn't seen it. Oh man, I, I was so disappointed. We didn't even see it. We are not, well, not interested in seeing it. Um, Roddenberry's completely, you know, whatever vision he had. But on a brighter note, if any of you have BBC America on your cables, you can watch. The original series all day starting at noon Eastern on Friday until, I don't know, way after midnight. And on Monday is Voyager all day. And on Wednesday is Next Generation all day. And sometimes when we tune in on other days of the week, we see Star Trek too. We saw it on Saturday last week, Voyager was on. We don't always know when it's going to be on, except we know it's going to be on Fridays, Mondays, and Wednesdays. But if you're in the mood for it and you don't, and you want to be surprised by whatever episode instead of picking your own, uh, if you have an opportunity to watch your own, if you've got them all on DVD or whatever, then tune in to BBC America if you have it and just see what they're playing. Yeah, I agree that the last three movies are just disasters. I don't even have them in my collection anymore. <laughs> but uh, Discovery takes place, David, it takes place about ten years before the original series and it's a totally different ship totally different bunch of people who are captains and this and that and the others and it's it's a more sober scary series it's definitely not the type of Roddenberry production that we all loved so you know you sort of I'm only getting it because I want to know what happens and I don't know what I'm going to do with it after I get all of them there's a uh, 15 of them in the series. Well, I watched the first episode, which uh, I think it's kind of nasty for them to put one episode on and then say, pay for all the others. But the first thing I didn't like is I thought that the background music was way too high compared to the voices of the characters. And secondly, they all spoke real Klingon. I don't know if they have subtitles or not, but I didn't have subtitles turned on on my machine. So basically, uh, it wasn't much of a thing. It's certainly not worth paying money for, in my humble opinion. Uh, to be here is just a touch off this subject. Did anyone realize there is a, re a, sec a sequel to Blade Runner? It's, I think it's set in 2049. I don't know if it'll be any good, but they managed to whip up a sequel. We can't miss making some sequel money. You know how Hollywood likes to do, work it every which way you can. I've heard they're making a movie out of Wheel of Time, um, but I haven't seen anything about it other than the rumor. I'm going to say that, personally, I'm not much of a television or a movie person, 
Since I lost my eyesight, I find myself very unsatisfied with it and no amount of description will do. But I do remember before I lost my eyesight, I was able to see the first Star Trek The Motion Picture. And something struck, I remember something struck me as just not quite right about it. And it is that they brought back the original cast of the television series and frankly they all looked extremely geriatric it just didn't seem quite right that these old people should be gallivanting around all over space and such I'm kind of thinking that maybe they should have just done the whole thing over with a new cast that's strange because that was only what 12 years after the original series went off the air was it what 79 80 um somebody refreshed my memory i um it was yeah it was only like 10 or um, maybe 12 13 years they couldn't look that much older they look pretty old though um i remember mccoy showing up and i was thinking good grief why all the wrinkles <laughs> so i don't know it would have i think it was actually maybe later than the late I, well frankly i really don't remember when it was but it was the original star trek was done in the 60s and i'm not sure when it went off the air probably late 60s but this would have been quite a few years later and the cast did get a chance to age quite a bit and it showed and i do remember thinking that they look too old to be they look like they should be in retirement now instead of um, flying around all over space yeah the series original series ended in 1969 and then they had the animated series which took uh, I think when did they record that around 1973-1974 and then the first movie I believe came out around 1979 I think you're right because the third movie I know that came out around 1984 and the second one had to have come out around 1982 so I yeah I think you're right maybe I could have been thinking I think I was thinking about the original Star Trek motion picture but I might have been thinking of a sequel that came out in the 80s because I did not lose my eyesight until 1988 and I know I was able to catch it before I lost my eyesight so maybe I'm confusing one with another but um, it seems like I'm thinking of the original one though I noticed that Nichelle Nichols was really old in The Search for Spock movie um, and then I noticed that Scotty was putting on quite a bit of weight when they got into the one with the whales um, but you know they do age um, I remember being shocked when they put uh, Walter Koenig on advertising Star Trek sound effects on television he just looked you know, he looked like Carrie Fisher did uh, about 20 years after she played Princess Leia. Well, if they aged that much, I hate to think what they look like when Star Trek VI came out. <laughs> that was in the 1990s, wasn't it? Yeah, that was, uh, well, they 
right because yeah it must have been the early 90s and then of course in seven they kind of transitioned over to the next generation and Shatner and and uh, Patrick Stewart were both in that um, and then of course they went they that was the end of uh, the Star Trek movies with the original cast yeah cuz Roddenberry died around 1992-93 something like that and I think he actually saw Star Trek 6 but I don't know if he ever saw Star Trek 7 I don't think he did but I could be wrong yeah, and and of course Voyager was on. I mean, they hadn't even though Roddenberry had Roddenberry had passed away. They they still hadn't lost the you know the vision in Voyager. I mean, there's some. I didn't actually watch most of Voyager when it was out, but I've watched some you know on BBC America, and uh, they still had the touch you know on Voyager still. I just checked, and Gene Roddenberry died in October of ninety one. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, I think the the last series that I've kept that I kind of like is Enterprise. And some people kind of thought, well, what did they do getting into this war that lasted the third season? But I still think they kind of had the touch because they did a lot of stuff about uh, going to Vulcan in the fourth season and there was just some weird things that went on there. But yeah, that was that I think was the last time that the Roddenberry touch was in any Star Trek anything. Well, I guess I'll uh, take off uh, the recording here and just say that our next meeting will be on Thursday, November 9th, 2017. And uh, I hope uh, some people will come back and talk about their favorite books then. And until then, uh, happy reading and all that.